Well, we uh, have been continuing in a, in a series, a summer series on um, the Beatitudes, and uh, I'm looking at my notes here and looking at the time and uh, realizing that I spoke a little bit longer than I should have uh, previously. So anyway, we'll see what we can get in, into this and how much we can get into uh, of today as far as uh, looking at meekness. And a word that you probably haven't used very, very... I mean, when was the last time you heard someone say, if you want to succeed in life, try being meek? <laughs> or if you want to rise to the top and get somewhere in life, display meekness along the way. Um, that just doesn't happen a lot. You don't hear that a lot in the business world. But meekness isn't a, a valued quality in our day, something that isn't used much in that way. The world's philosophy of success says be assertive, be aggressive, and go for the throat. Do whatever is necessary to come out ahead, but that isn't what Jesus said. Again, we are in this summer series entitled Be Attitudes, where we are focusing on the eight attitudes Jesus mentions in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is speaking to His disciples about the attitudes they're to possess as kingdom citizens, and these are the attitudes that must be in our lives as followers of Jesus. Now, I've heard it said that if your attitude determines your altitude, then it also testifies, testifies to your disposition and determination. So as we look at God and, and we, we figure some things out, our attitude is a key thing in all this as well, which then we look at these Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5. Now, the vital item to note is that Jesus wasn't focusing on outward performance, like going to church or giving, or, or serving, but his concern was to mark out how a disciple should be on the inside. Jesus preached, uh, John Piper said, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount so that his Father would get the glory for the way the disciples lived. <laughs> so the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to inform God's disciples of the qualities they are to possess and display to a watching world. And we continue to do that these days as well because people are watching. They're seeing our attitude and seeing how it, how it uh, works with our, 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 what we're saying as, as a Christian. And so far, we've come to see that a Christian is someone who is poor in spirit by recognizing their own spiritual bankruptcy and who is mournful and has a genuine sorrow over their sin and the sin of others. And this morning, we're going to look at the next attitude Jesus states is necessary to be a Christ follower, and that is meekness. In considering meekness, your thoughts might turn towards the Passion Week where Jesus modeled meekness. You consider at, the, at Gethsemane when the soldiers came to arrest Him and chaos reigned, Jesus showed meekness. During the, 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 the courts of Pilate and Herod and, and Caiaphas, through the scourging and, and walk to Golgotha, up to the moment He breathed His last breath, Jesus modeled power under control. And it's important we clarify what meekness is because some people equate meekness with weakness. Uh, basically, just turn that M around and you, you hear weakness. But that couldn't be further from, the, uh, from, from Jesus' mind. In fact, if you were to tell someone they were meek, I'm not sure they'd receive your words as a compliment. Then they might be a little curious about that. What do you mean by that? And if you were to look at a thesaurus, it wouldn't help matters as the typical synonyms for meekness include docile, mild, tame, soft, passive, and cowering. It's no wonder we don't want to be called meek. 
But when Jesus used the term, he was speaking of something completely different. And since this characteristic is part of Jesus' definition of a disciple, I think that it's in our best interest that we understand what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the meek. Now, that word meek was used four times in completely different capacities in the New Testament that together helped to demonstrate a godly attitude. In the Greek culture, meekness was considered a virtue that was balanced between too much and too little anger. The meek man was neither timid nor given to fits of rage. And Greek physicians used the word to describe a a soothing medicine. If too little was given, it wouldn't work. But if too much was prescribed, Moses, uh, the Gaiagoses know this, it could hurt instead of heal. But if the right amount was offered, then it could work wonders. Meek was also used to describe a gentle breeze blowing in from the ocean. Wind can rage, and Fred knows this as he's gone fishing, and do great damage. Or when it blows gently, it brings a soothing comfort. The most common use of meekness describes a wild stallion. You've probably heard of this definition before, or example. That had been a wild stallion that had been tamed. The broken horse was powerful, but its power was under the control of a bridle. And the common thread in these, these images is that meekness represents different forms of power that can be used for good. Meekness is power harnessed for good. But when you put this statement in the context of Jesus' setting, it's most likely that the people there kind of scratched their heads. They're kind of going, they probably thought, didn't Jesus just mention that the kingdom of heaven was near? And if the kingdom is coming, then don't we need to get ready to rumble with the Romans here? Don't we need to get ready to fight them or something? Let's not forget the story of Jesus falls within the framework of a nation in bondage to Rome. And while the Jews believed Messiah was coming, most thought He was coming to deliver them from their physical oppressor and not their spiritual condition. The kingdom the Pharisees wanted was miraculous. The Sadducees' idea was materialistic. The Essenes wanted a monastic kingdom, while the Zealots were looking for a military kingdom. Thankfully, Jesus offered a meek kingdom. All of these groups eagerly anticipated that the Messiah would deal gently with them and harshly with their oppressors. So when Jesus came on the scene, they got excited because they believed the Messiah had come and that He would commend them for their goodness and would at last give the Jewish people their rightful place in the world, a position above all other people, because they were God's chosen people. But God's plan was not focused on the temporary, but on the eternal. So when Jesus started talking the way He did in the Sermon on the Mount, you can imagine their reaction a little bit. They hated Him because He disappointed them and didn't fulfill their expectations. They, then, then to introduce meekness in a time of oppression was almost equal to heresy among them. It was the last thing on their minds. And our society isn't far removed from the one in Jesus' day. We too focus on the temporary at the expense of the eternal. And we shake our fist at Jesus because He isn't serving our expectations or our, our desires. But He is God, and you're not. You've got to remember that. Remember, the biggest difference between you and God is that God doesn't think that He's you. <laughs> That's the biggest difference. So, what does meekness demand? What's the mandate of meekness? Well, it's a disposition under submission. 
a disposition under submission. If meekness is power under control, then the first area it must address is a person's character. Losing self-control leaves you as helpless as a city without a wall. In fact, Proverbs 25, verse 28 talks about this. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. A man who possesses meekness is in control of his faculties, and his life is fortified by his disposition because he's under the control of the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. They are, they are part of the Holy Spirit that comes into your life and brings these out into you, and you grow in these. We talked about that in a, a uh, recent series of messages. But this verse expresses a central truth. Meekness is not a natural ability, but a divine attribute invested by God into the life of every believer. We are the wild stallion being tamed and broken by the Holy Spirit, and the more we submit to God's bridle, the less He has to use His spurs to tame us. A person with meekness is one who responds to the initiative of Christ in them and then moves into the world of trusting God. It's a story about two wives who were washing clothes at a laundromat, and both were mending their husband's pants. And as they were sewing, the one lady said, My husband is so discouraged and cold, nothing seems to go right for him. Everyone at work picks on him, and he's not appreciated by anyone. We cry a lot because our home is so sad. Even our kids are brats. What's worse, when we go to church, the music is dead, and the pastor's an idiot. The other lady said, well, my husband is so excited. He can't wait to go to church. He loves the sermons. We go visit people all the time, and we laugh in our home. We can't wait to see what God is going to do next. It got very quiet in the laundromat as the women continued sewing on their husband's pants. And it so happens one was patching the seat of the pants, and the other was mending the knees. Meekness requires a right disposition. And a right disposition requires trust in God, and trust in God begins on your knees in prayer. God would change you. God would help you, and you trust in God more as you bring that to prayer. Also, meekness demands a relationship held in check. A relationship held in check. In Ephesians chapter 4, the first two verses says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be humble and meek, patient, bearing with one another in love. In Galatians chapter 5, I already read the fruit of the Spirit in that. In verses, uh, verses 23 on through 26, Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Meekness isn't only a, a trait we share with God. It's also a quality we share with others. Meekness is the fruit of the Spirit that helps us to see others from God's perspective, using His lens. Someone said meekness is a true view of oneself expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect to others. Meekness causes us to act in the best interest of others for their well-being. 
The meek stand in the gap to love others with a balance of humility and compassion. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brothers, if any person is overtaken in sin, you who are spiritual should set him right and restore and reinstate him without any sense of superiority and with all meekness, keeping an attentive eye on yourself, lest you be tempted also. God says that when we see a person caught in sin, in meekness we are to gently confront them. Not to condemn them, but to bring restoration. He says, be fair and just, but also be careful and compassionate because their broken lives are fragile. When Jesus dealt with a woman caught in adultery, He lovingly confronted her, identified her sin, and with compassion restored her by grace. That's how we're to confront others. We never condone sin, but neither do we condemn the sinner. Man, that's a fine line to cross, or the, 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 the tiptoe on. Especially in these days where culture says, well, that's intolerant, or you just, you, you hate me. It's tough. We confront in love, identify the act, point them to Jesus, and say, go and sin no more. So how should we respond to meekness? What should we be doing? We should mimic the Master. We should mimic the Master. Jesus gave Himself a, a number of titles, but when it, come, when it came to describing His character, He used specific words to describe His virtue, and one of them being meekness. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When an ox accepts a yoke, it, it, it models meekness. It's still very powerful, but its power is under the control of another. And Jesus is saying, I want you to connect with me so that you, we can walk side by side, we will work together and walk through the trials of life as one. As you yield to my yoke, you'll learn from me and discover that I am meek, and you will gradually become meek too. Another response to this is that we need to welcome the world. We need to welcome the world. If, if you want to be, oh, excuse me, not the world, the Word. <laughs> the Word. We need to welcome the Word. If you want to be meek, then you cultivate a submission to God's Word. God's Word. The Bible is the, is the bit and bridle that controls our wild spirits. It's a guidance for us. James chapter 1, verse 21 says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the Word planted in you, which can save you. And another uh, version uh, says that to receive with meekness the implanted Word. And to receive, there, there are two Greek words translated receive. The first has the idea of grasping and reaching out, and it's what some of us do with the Bible. We, we study the facts and put them in our heads, but never welcome them into our lives. The other word means to welcome with humility. It has the idea not of, not of taking, but of welcoming. To welcome the Word means to receive it and apply it to your life regardless of what it says. If God said it, we yield to it in meekness and practice it. So we welcome the Word. We also need to submit to the Spirit, submit to the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I've already mentioned the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5, but to produce spiritual fruit, a life must be submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The, fruit, the Spirit's fruit isn't something we do. It's what we display as a supernatural byproduct of a surrendered life. Also in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, since we live by the Spirit, let's, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And then verse 25, says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So the key is not to work harder, but to worship more fully. It's not to try more, but to trust more. It's not to walk by sight, but to walk by faith. Someone also said, meekness is not merely the absence of pride and arrogance, so much as it is the fullness of the presence of God where pride and arrogance cannot abide. <laughs> Another response to meekness is that we need to put up with God's people. We need to put up with God's people. The porcupine is a member of the rodent family that has around 30,000 quills attached to his body. Each quill can be driven into an enemy, and the enemy's body heat will cause the microscopic barb to expand and become more firmly embedded. The wounds can fester, the more dangerous ones affecting vital organs can be fatal. And as a general rule, porcupines have two methods for handling relationships, withdrawal or attack. They either head for a tree or stick out their quills. But porcupines don't want to be alone, and love turns out to be a risky business when you're a porcupine. This is the porcupine's dilemma. How do you get close without getting hurt? And this is our dilemma too, isn't it? Every one of us carries our own little arsenal of quills. Our barbs have names like rejection, condemnation, resentment, arrogance, selfishness, envy, contempt. Some people hide them better than others, but get close enough and you will find out they're there. <laughs> they burrow under the skin of our enemies. They wound and fester and even kill. John Ortberg continues uh, in this vein, he says, we too learn to survive through a combination of withdrawal or attack. We too find ourselves hurting and being hurt by those we long to be closest to. Yet we too want to get close. We meet neighbors, go on dates, join churches, form friendships, get married and have children. We try to figure out how to get close without getting hurt. We wonder if there isn't a softer, less barbed creature out there, a mink or an otter perhaps. And of course, we can usually think of a number of particularly prickly porcupines in our lives. But the problem isn't just them. I'm somebody's porcupine too, and so are you. John Ortberg's got a good point there. We may look at other people and think, eh, they're kind of prickly. But who's looking at you saying the same thing? <laughs> and how can we guard against that? Well, it's true that it's easier to get close to someone when they have no quills. The reality is that we all have the capacity to attack. In Scripture, meekness is often contrasted with words like harsh and violent, unrelenting, strict, severe. But a meek person seeks to give grace to others and puts up with imperfect people. And remember, no one is perfect except God. Your spouse will disappoint you. Your kids will fail you. Your friends will let you down. Your church will drop the ball, and your pastor won't meet all your expectations. 
The reality is that a, a time will come when you will have a legitimate gripe, a complaint. You will be right and they'll be wrong. And it's at this time that you'll be at the crossroads of meekness. The question is, which path will you take? Will you launch some quills or grant grace and peace? And before deciding, remind yourself how gentle Jesus is toward you. You can choose to live your life disappointed and angry with, someone, with everyone around you, or you can be armed with the virtue of meekness and enter into the blessing of authentic community. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says, Be completely humble and meek. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Boy, how we need those verses these days. A fifth thing we could be doing, too, in response to meekness is mobilize for mission. Mobilize for mission. You see, when unbelievers see us living lives of meekness, they wonder what's going on. But some of us can be pretty harsh with those who don't know Jesus. So God has placed a challenge before us to be ready to let people know about our hope, but with meekness. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which was mentioned in the Sunday school class today. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness, meekness, and respect. So we need to understand that we represent Jesus to those around us. And when we treat them with gentleness, it raises the question in their minds that maybe Jesus is gentle too. We are Jesus, the people. What are they seeing? What are they noticing? Well, and finally, of course, there's the promise, as you see in this verse, Matthew 5. Blessed. We're blessed, and we also inherit. Those, who, those people who are meek are blessed, and they inherit something. An inward contentedness is this blessedness. It's unaffected by surrounding conditions where we'll be approved by God and receive the applause of heaven. That's blessed. And in particular, to those who are meek, God promises to give them the earth. We inherit it. Now you're thinking, okay, that's not so great. <laughs> but, but we possess the earth. And this beatitude contains that surprising promise. It's those that have their spirits bridled by Christ who will get the land. And when Jesus said these words, He was quoting almost verbatim from a psalm in the Old Testament. Psalm 37, verse 11 but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. And in the psalm, which is one of the longer ones, King David is contrasting the wicked with those who try to live righteously. He, he, he shares how those who use power for their own gain and live off the pain and suffering of others will one day be punished for their wickedness, while those who strive to live for God, even though they may suffer for a while, will one day prevail and inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Jesus, by repeating this promise, is ensuring His listeners that if they strive to live in meekness by putting others ahead of themselves, then that they will see this promise come true in their lives. Those who, in their own selfish, selfishness, seek to gain what little they can by any means possible, regardless of who they hurt and what sin they commit, will one day see it all disappear and be left with nothing. Those who, in striving to live for Christ, seek to help others gain what they need, regardless of what it may cost them and what personal sacrifice they make, will one day have more than they can ever imagine. 
And Jesus did more than tell His people this. He lived it out. He lived it out in the Passover feast where He washed the disciples' feet. And when He did that, He showed what it meant to be meek, what it meant to serve. And that is the key thing in being meek, in living out meekness. And when he did this and washing the disciples' feet, it was a dirty job. You think about it, those guys wearing those sandals, ugh, walking through all that stuff. Not a fun job, but he did it. Jesus washed his, his disciples' feet. And, uh, and, and not knowing what to think, you know, they let him wash their feet until it comes to Simon Peter, of course. You see, it was his turn, and what does he do? He says, no, 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 you're not going to do that. You will never wash my feet. And, of course, he was pretty honest with that, and he loves him so much that he didn't want Jesus to stoop so low to do something like that. He's a conquering hero. He's supposed to take us forward, not wash our feet. But uh, the thing is, is that uh, you know, Jesus sees Peter's heart, and he wants him to understand that true glory and true majesty comes in serving others and not serving yourself. So he needs to break through Peter's built-up defenses. So he speaks strongly to him. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And so, of course, Peter's reaction, well, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well, right? Still didn't understand why Jesus is doing this, but at least he grasped the importance of it, right? So he allows Jesus to wash his feet. And Jesus knows that Peter still loves him. His heart is set on following him. That's why uh, Jesus, Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body's clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew he was going to betray, who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. So Peter's heart was clean, the disciples' hearts were clean, but of course Judas was there, and he was the one that he was referring to. But Jesus wasn't washing their feet in order to remove sin from their hearts. That washing comes through faith in Jesus' work on the cross, not His work with a basin and towel. And when He's done, He puts away the basin and towel, puts His outer robe back on, and rejoins them at the table. And He then explains to them why He has washed their feet. He asks them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I, I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So if, if their teacher and Lord can serve them by washing their feet without hesitation, how can, how can they not do the same? Following Christ means serving Him, and a big part of that is having a heart for serving others. That's part of meekness. Jesus deliberately chose a task which everyone knew was a servant's job in order to show them what, that a servant is exactly what we are meant to be for each other. We are to serve one another. We are to be meek among one another in that way. And look at the words He uses to finish this, this teaching moment. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So after washing disciples' feet, and he explains why he did it, and then he says these words. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So how can we be meek in our daily lives? It's not easy. It kind of goes against our grain to live in such a way that we put others first. But it can be done. 
The best way to begin is to simply find ways of serving others. What can you do for someone else? We need to live out our meekness in our day-to-day activities. It's an attitude, but it comes out in our actions. We live meekly when we let the mom with a loaded cart and three whiny kids in front of us at a window. <laughs> we live meekly when we, we close the book we're enjoying in order to talk to the person who sat down beside us and wants to talk. We live meekly when we do anything that places someone else in front of ourselves. We do need to watch our motives, though, when we serve, our, or, or our actions will expose a heart that doesn't quite understand what meekness is. We need to be meek, not just act meekly, because it's an attitude and not just an action. It comes with time, it comes with practice, and it comes with help, help from Jesus, who promised us that our meekness would not go overlooked or unrewarded. He lived out meekness himself, even though he, more than anyone else, deserved to be served. (laughs) King of kings, Lord of lords. And we do serve him by serving others. Meekness doesn't mean weakness. It means a life that is under the control of God and expresses itself in a life of balance, humility, compassion, and service to others. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now the worship team come on up. They're going to close our time here with a couple songs. I think this next song can kind of help us. Have, let it be a prayer in our life, a prayer that allows God to just use us for whatever He wants to do as we come before Him. And I trust that as, as we sing this last song, that you'll come before God and asking Asking God basically to check your heart. Where are you in the area of meekness? Is it a difficult thing for you to do? And just take time to listen to what the Holy Spirit has before you. And He'll prompt you. He'll prompt you in how you need to go. But I trust that you will respond in obedience to what God has for you today.